You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1976 undisputed classic Carrie I was one year old when this came out I was not alive no of course not (laughs) you weren't for any of the good ones not true (laughs) not true I was alive for many good ones Mm -hmm. I was alive for Nightmare on Elm Street a little-known movie you might not have heard of. Yeah, because you're like this elite horror fan that likes things that most people haven't watched. Yeah. We're I'm mostly VHS. <laughs> we're narrowcasting right now, but we really are making fun of someone that uh, one of us knows in real life. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the start. The start. I'm excited. It's fucking hot and sweaty, and that means that it is time for... Stephen King of Palooza 2. Yes. Stephen King of Palooza. We've got a couple in a row and we have more that we want to hit because we have such a huge list. Did you know Wikipedia told me today that over 100 of his books have been adapted into film? Really? Over 100. That's crazy. It is crazy. So, I don't know if we'll get to all those, but we have it's, a few. They're not all the, the best, but I can tell you that we're hitting some classics. The first time that we did this was last year, and it was kind of by accident. We started talking about Stephen King films. I know that you had wanted to do Cujo for a really long time, and we wanted to do it in the stinky, pit-stained, dank of the fucking month of August. Yeah. And that seemed like a pretty good idea. But then we also ended up doing Maximum Overdrive, and we did 1408. Yeah. When it comes to famous Stephen King movies, the biggest one that we did was Cujo. And, of course, that opened the floodgates. People uh, that I that I know in real life approached me knowing that we were doing the Stephen King Apalooza, and the first fucking question out of their mouth was, are you doing Carrie? Are you doing... Pet Cemetery. Are you like the very big, well-known? Are we doing The Shining? The Shining. That yeah. that was another one. I was like, you and it's like you should do The Shining. I was like, The Shining, you say? Uh, well, we have covered The Shining, but that was really more of our winter month uh, time. It wasn't an official Stephen King of Palooza. No, that's not an official Stephen King of Palooza because of the way that he thinks of that film. But people would request all their favorites yeah and everyone's favorites are different misery is another one misery yeah Mm -hmm. the and and so we're going to get to three so we're doing carrie today and then we're going to be doing christine and then we're going to be doing pet cemetery pet cemetery being my personal favorite uh stephen king film oh really yeah it is Mm -hmm. although i will tell you after rewatching Carrie, I, I want to rewatch Pet Cemetery and see which one. I like to pit movies against each other, so they earn my love. Oh my god! And <laughs> I'm so glad you have no children. <laughs> I'm gonna say now you two kids uh, fight, and whoever wins, I love more. And this would be a daily occurrence. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, uh, it's I'm hard pressed to choose a favorite Stephen King film. Mm-hmm. I really am. I like The Shining very much, obviously. Yeah. But 
I really like Carrie. There's things about Christine I really like. There's things about these films that stick with me. Mm. So, and things with Carrie that stick with everybody. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a day goes by that I don't hear someone say dirty pillows or they're dirty all going to laugh at you. Yeah, that's a big one. They're yeah. all going to laugh at you. Yeah, they're all going to laugh at you. I forgot all about dirty pillows. <laughs> oh, really? How could you forget about dirty pillows? Well, I, I know, like, obviously I know the term. I just, much like John Travolta, it was a surprise. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's this movie. <laughs> That's this movie with fucking John Travolta in it, just with his hot hair and up your nose with a rubber hose and all his... This is his Welcome Back Cotter days. <laughs> and he doesn't skip a beat. He is typecast at this point in his career entirely. Um, but it is a lot of people's very favorite film. It was mm-hmm. one of the biggest films when it came out. It was received very, very well. It did very, very well. People still to this day think of it uh, in, as loftily as they think of The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Like, really, honestly. It may not be tossed around as much as those films mm-hmm. because, probably because it deals with some pretty, like it starts out with a menstrual blood scene, basically. Mm-hmm. After, like, the, the misty, sexy shower scene that I love yeah, so much. I love and I'm discomforted by that. Because yeah. I'd watched this before high school. And I was like, oh, God, is this what high school's like? Yeah. I don't want to be in that change room at all. Yeah. Ooh, I would so have Carrie White moments. I did have some Carrie White moments. Yeah. Uh, Were you a Carrie White in, in, in school? I was a Carrie White in school. Yeah. I really, truly was. Although I did not go to prom. No. Yeah. No. No. Uh. No one, no one can give a shit to that point. But I'm glad, considering how it turns out. Yeah, it's true. Although it's not, it's not Tommy's fault. He was a, he was a good golden fleeced individual. He truly was a golden fleeced individual. <laughs> but yeah, um, Carrie is one of my favorite Stephen King films by far. This is the first time I've been able to sit down comfortably and watch it end to end with like. No real interruptions. It was usually on television when mm. I'd watch it. I don't believe I ever owned a copy of Carrie. I owned a copy of the book Carrie, mm-hmm. but I did not own a VHS or a DVD of this film. But I've seen it numerous times, all on television. We had it in the in our VHS collection, although uh, it, it uh, taped. It, we didn't have like an official copy or anything like that. Although I never watched it on the tape. I remember. I know that we had it. Um, in the in the big red book, but I saw it on television for the first time. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll admit to you, listeners, now as I admitted to Lydia, the first time I ever saw this, I was pretty young and not fully paying attention. It probably had a lot to do with the fact that it was on television, so there was commercial breaks, and I don't know. I was a kid not really paying attention to it. Uh, it wasn't what I expected. I remember when I was when I was the first time watcher i had heard of the movie carrie and of course through osmosis i knew about the the pig's blood scene and i had known about all that stuff but i i just uh thought like i kept missing all of the hints of her telekinesis throughout the film and so when it gets to the end sequence of the film i did know that she had those powers but i was under the impression that wow they didn't it's kind of jarring, don't you think? Like, all of a sudden, she just has these powers. doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, it's like, within the first three minutes, yeah. although you might not put two and two together with that light exploding in the shower yeah. scene. 
uh, her first harrowing moment where she's scared and angry. Mm-hmm. Or in a combination of the two that she can't yeah. decide which. Super confused and embarrassed and all that kind of good stuff. But I, I eventually I watched it uh, when I was older and uh, I remember liking it, although... I, I think that watching it this time, I don't know if it's the Lydia factor. I don't know. Sometimes I, I feel as though when I don't love films or, or I like them, but they're not my end all be all. Uh, sometimes when I sit down and I watch them with you for the show, I, I turn right around every single time. I'm like, oh, I like this movie. This is fucking really good. And happy to report it's the same thing. I, I really enjoyed this watch of, of this film. It was nice to just sit back watch this film really pay attention to it and and anything that i thought about it because i used to have this this impression oh it's kind of a slow movie and it's kind of long and uh that's not the case for it's a pretty brisk 98 minutes and also things happen pretty quickly and it's very engaging and uh, sissy space is amazing in this fucking film yeah, no, she truly is. And you would ask me what I thought of her casting, yeah. since there were many people who didn't appreciate her casting. Mm-hmm. Much like I don't appreciate the remake and the right. casting of the remake. Yeah. Um, I have, I think, a stronger argument for that. But at the time, it was sort of like, and this isn't a thing that people nitpick on nearly enough. As much as I like Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates in the mm. original Psycho film, he's not the Norman Bates from the book. Right. Norman Bates from the book was a portly, overweight, far more creepy, way worse socialized human being mm-hmm. that was like a cretin and a, a, I don't know, just a very creepy, gross individual. Yeah, not the not the very uh, attractive, charismatic, sweet, very Norman, sweet Norman Bates that we get in the film, and normally socialized as well, yeah. and not creepy, not creepy at all, really, until he gets creepy. But uh, Carrie is very similar in that way. And people were a little more vocal about it at the time. And I think that people have fallen off of being vocal about it because less people read the book. And I barely recall the the book. I want to reread it because it's a short read. I have it upstairs, actually, which is really nice to have. But I haven't read it since I picked it up. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I really do want to revisit it. But the carry in the book that I recall, anyhow, is shorter overweight way greasier and stringier has pimples none of the things that sissy spacek has sissy spacek is thin to gaunt she's uh, pale and not greasy she doesn't have pimples and stuff like that they Mm -hmm. didn't even mention things like that Mm -hmm. she her hair is not greasy necessarily it's somewhat unbrushed at time from time to time but she seems to keep herself fairly tidy and she is pretty she is pretty I mean, they go through pains to make Carrie feel pretty in the book. The pains they have to go through in this film help for the time constraints of film, where all you have to do is put pull her hair back and say, smile, look at you're beautiful, and you agree, right, yeah. as the audience. Um, in the book, they have to go through quite many pains because they spend a lot of the time setting up how kind of gross Carrie is, mm-hmm. and the way that Norman Bates was gross in the book. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I have no problem with it because she performs this so brilliantly, mm-hmm. so captivatingly. And I had pointed out while we're watching it, if she, if they would have made Carrie closer to the book version of Carrie, watching what she goes through with the plug it up scene mm-hmm. or what she goes through with any of the scenes, especially the end scene, would have been so much more infuriating and heartbreaking because at this point they're teasing and making fun of and bullying 
someone who could almost run with that crowd. Yeah. Almost. If they were bullying and teasing what the real Carrie in the book looks like and acts like, it would be so much more heartbreaking. And there would have been mobs in the streets with pitchforks and torches because it would have been that much more heartbreaking to see somebody who you could relate to uh, if you had been mm-hmm. someone who was an unkempt or um, more skidly, I guess. I don't know what word people use now. I don't know. <laughs> Greasy, overweight, unkempt, mm-hmm. and yeah. neglected child, right? Or someone who was neglecting themselves. It would have been that much more heartbreaking to watch. So mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to digest. And I think that a larger group of people can relate to Carrie more closely, whether you had ever been bullied like this, mm-hmm. or even similarly, or bullied at all, or had had very important adult things kept from you, like the birds and the bees. Yeah. And blood running to your knees and fucking all this shit that Carrie wasn't privy to and the misinformation that Carrie's mother feeds her. Um, Someone can, if they'd never gone through that, at least they know someone that looked like Carrie or looked like Carrie themselves or had moments in the library scene where someone's like, what you read? And you're like lying. You're like, it's about sewing. (laughs) Cause I don't want anyone to know what a big geek I am. You know, you can really relate to that where I don't think that the real Carrie would have been as relatable to people who might have bullied others or people who, you know, sort of just skated through high school like you did, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, everyone gets bullied in some way, shape or form. But I was just too fucking funny and charming for any of it to stick. <laughs> I had moments of bullying mm-hmm. um, that, of course, I'm not proud of no one. No one should yeah. ever be, ever. Uh, although there are, seems to me, many people that are, uh, that grow up to be future bullies in the workplace and things like that and in mm-hmm. life. Very few moments, though, I was normally on the receiving end. Yeah. I, me personally, I had a, a man, I could get carried away with saying mean things to people and being so sarcastic. And I could, I could, uh, when in those moments, I've actually apologized to some people later that I've like reencountered. I was like, "Hey, man, like you know, like uh, sorry, I like said that shit to you because I, I was just I don't know why." Like, and and it's the attitude of friends too. Like, yeah. there's groups of friends that just constantly insult one another. I could never handle when my friends would get like that because it's like yeah. it's not fucking funny. Like, you're you're being a bully. You're being an asshole. You're just repeating lines from people who. Are, are malicious when mm-hmm. you're thinking it's funny like i don't understand that sort of dialogue no i don't know man and uh and, and i think that uh in, in those moments yeah i could see myself in in the position of the bullies but also having been bullied because I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone has on some some level you know you you can really uh relate to uh carrie and the, sissy spacek's uh, performance is so she seems so fragile at times. Like y- y- she might break apart if you were to shout at her or, 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 or say something cruel to her. And she's so suspicious of people, rightfully so. Uh, and, and so tortured by her domineering mother at home. It's just like there's no place for her, really. It's, it's kind of the worst of the worst because a lot of people who have, abusive parents you'll hear stories about how school is like 
a haven for them because that was the place where they could be themselves and not have to worry about their abusive parents uh, kicking their ass or, or, or demeaning them or whatever it is that, that people were doing. Uh, then there's people who have the unfortunate reality of they have abusive parents and they were bullied at school. And, and so you just end up with these, these incredibly uh, like, like just horrible situations for people in, on an individual basis. And I think that a part of Sissy SpaceX's brilliance in this is how she really conveys someone that is just so beaten down and and just wants to it's the mentality of people constantly abused keep your head down don't fucking say anything and hopefully people will ignore you that's what you want yeah. you want people to just ignore you and you just want to sit there in your classes and be quiet and anytime that she even does speak up anytime that she asks for help from anybody she's ridiculed and mocked and and tormented laughed at you know in saying she likes this guy's poem people are fucking like cackling at her the teacher the teacher is kind of making fun of her you know what i mean or i'm just like jesus christ that particular teacher is really the worst um adult in this film aside from carrie white's mom yeah but like I definitely lived that. Luckily, I had a wonderful home life to go home yeah. to because my parents weren't Christian. Current Christian. Yeah. That <laughs> seems to be, listen, that seems to be a big problem Yeah. Uh, for Mrs. White. Now, don't you think, like, she has elder goth goals, man. You look at Carrie White's mom and she is cool looking. She looks like a witch. She looks yeah. like a, a really cool woman. Elder goth perfection yeah i mean she's got a cape for god's sakes fucking cape she dresses in all black most of the time she has a very wonderfully well-kept home and the amount of candles i mean i'm jealous i know right yeah but eh, eh, the dogma and the catholicism and the like the christian overbearing fucking preaching that's disgusting i don't think she's collecting for a church i think she's just collecting so she can live i think that's how she lives is tithing which is sad but um yeah the 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 christianity angle in this is doubly terrifying to me not unlike the exorcist is terrifying because you you see the powerlessness of faith in the face of pure evil apparently or evil incarnate um and that 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 can all be turned on you this somewhat turned on you but mrs white has being so warped herself there's one line that sticks out with her saying that the intercourse causes the bleeding Mm. so she's convinced that carrie has had sex gotcha yeah which leads me to believe that she was molested or had had sex to like at some point somehow whether it was forced or not and consensual or not or as a very young child or or a pre-adolescent that she had had sex before she bled, and that's what made her think that it instigated mm-hmm. menses. So, of course, she never told Carrie about it. Yeah. Like, because it's a really deep, dark, horrible thing in her. But then to have that shape her entire faith, because mm-hmm. her everything to do with her Christian faith seems to revolve around that, and it's disturbing. It really is, and and there's, there's a, a sense of um, sort of being willfully obtuse about everything, right? And, 
her own fears and her own personal shame uh, twisting uh, religious dogma, which is what sick religious people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can the Bible can mean anything uh, to anyone, uh, and it, up to and including reinforcing just bad education. She doesn't seem like a very well educated woman outside of the Bible. She seems kind of dumb, and and it makes perfect sense why she would ha- like think this kind of things because her parents were probably super religious and she's just passing that on to Carrie and Carrie is finding herself in a situation where she probably was never allowed to partake in sexual education. I'm not sure in 19 in the 19 mid 1970s, what sex ed was like in high school, but I'm, I'm I'm assuming not much has changed. I, I expected almost a line about that because there was some sort of like birds and bees and boys and girls are different kind of stuff and little film strips they would show. Yeah. I, I The only hint that you get at the very beginning is when the uh, the gym teacher, uh, Miss Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gym teacher is talking to the principal about what happened to Carrie when we open the opening scene in which we have frolicking teen girls in a locker room and Carrie takes a shower and then she has her first period. Whoa, whoa. Carrie takes the sexiest shower ever. We get to see those dirty pillows long before they're a centerpiece. She's reveling in the hot water that's spouting forth, not unlike a golden shower from a godly penis. It is a very beautiful, beautiful scene. And it goes from that fear-inducing scene of girls frolicking and and towel snapping in a girl's locker room and, and... raising ruckus after practice and being half nude during it to this steamy, misty, sexy, wonderful alone time that Carrie's enjoying mm. where everything's sort of normal and very sweet and angelic mm. to a certain degree. And then she begins to bleed and freaks out because she's had no idea what it is. And I don't know if you know, because I don't know if this has happened to you when you had your time when you became a woman when i became a woman all right the cramping is pretty much hand in hand for most girls i know and most the girls that i've read about and stuff like that there is normally quite a bit of cramping happening right at that time as well so it's not only that you're suddenly bleeding you don't normally suddenly bleed red though you don't normally suddenly bleed bright red whatsoever Mm. she might have had signs leading up to that there should have been unless there was something like physical activity or stress, and she's under a lot of stress, mm-hmm. that would have held it back to the point that she nearly hemorrhaged. But normally the menses um, are a lot lighter. It's darker brown blood because it's older blood. It's been building up for some time. And not like that bright red blood that we see that she smears all over people as she's screaming, help me, help me, because she doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, it's a pretty harrowing scene, and, and it seems... Um when you're watching it it's like you, you just you just feel so bad for her because of how people are just ganging up on her like that and and wondering how and under, wondering how the a group like that can just get so out of control so fast and w- like why these people are so fucking miserable like, leave her alone like i don't understand why this is someone they've teased for so long someone's an easy mark this yeah. is someone who is sort of infringing on their territory they were probably all early bloomers themselves Mm -hmm. and know very well what like period of stuff like they all had like tampons on them handy and stuff Mm -hmm. so you know it's sort of like she's 
infringing yet again on their territory yeah. just by being alive. And they're all like uppity from practice. They just had a game, a rousing volleyball game. Mm-hmm. So they're all like excitable as well. So it's kind of a feral moment for them. They're yeah. all like, you know, gladiators at that point. When the gym teacher comes in and basically scolds everyone and tries to help Carrie and brings her to the principal's office to discuss what had happened and shit like that, she is more flabbergasted that Carrie's mother has clearly not educated her in any way, shape, or form. And the principal gives a line that indicates that it's not inconceivable that Carrie was excused from all sex ed classes because he said we can't help. We can't we can't infringe on people's beliefs. We had students that were excused from sex ed classes when I was in junior school and like middle school. Yeah, I don't I don't think I ever did. I'm not sure if if I if we did, I, I didn't pay attention. I remember like when sex health they would always be a month of like health class when we're when I was in high school. And I remember you know, pretty early on, you're kind of done with the birds and the bees because everyone knows and it's it's more about like VD and shit like that. Yeah. But then there's other moments where people were just talking about like uh, our gym teacher was talking to us a lot about health, just healthiness and cardiovascular systems and all this kind of shit, like really getting into like, oh, fitness and how do you take care of yourself and all this kind of shit. And I remember getting so queasy and and I didn't know what was happening. I like I was I really thought I was going to faint just because it was just so descriptive, and just so uh, clinical. And and for some reason I was having a really hard time. And it wasn't until there was this period where I was having like these fucking moments where I, I couldn't breathe and I felt dizzy and and like my chest felt really weird and my stomach felt nauseous and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And then it dawned on me when I asked to be excused from. Uh, health class because one of these attacks had come on and I was just sitting there by the door with the door open, just like feeling kind of this other kid comes out of the class and he, he just looks at me and he's just like, I couldn't take it in there anymore, man. I just fucking couldn't take it anymore. And I, and I had this knowing, Oh, am I fucking just getting queasy and passing and feeling like I'm going to pass out because I find this gross talking about my bloodstream and like my heart <laughs> pumping and it's just making me hyper aware of my body and it's making me nauseous. I didn't know that that's what was happening yeah, at, yeah. at all until this kid also was experiencing that. Anyway, that's a fucking boring ass story that is basically just to say, I don't think that Carrie has had any sex education. She was probably kicked out or, or removed. But anyway, and he's uncomfortable. You're talking about very old attitudes where He's looking at the period blood on uh, the gym teacher's shorts because Carrie's hand had blood on it and she had grabbed uh, her teacher uh, for support. And he's just staring at it, just like, get that away from me. Yeah, it's like, I'm very uncomfortable with all of this. Mm, Yes. And and his solution is like, well, just go home. Do you need to go to the infirmary? Yeah, the infirmary. Like, and gives her this, like, shitty look. Yeah, he doesn't understand women's bodies any more than Carrie White does at that point. But it is interesting that they do sort of give us a a little bit of indication that it's possible that no one else in Carrie's world stepped up. Mm -hmm. Although they expect that her mother should have, like Mm -hmm. mothers do. Other females around females. 
But obviously nobody did because it scared the living fucking shit out of her. Mm-hmm. And no one plays scared girl better than Sissy Spacek. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of an edge to Carrie that is at sometimes surprising given how meek uh, she presents herself most of the time. It always comes from these moments in which she's really uncomfortable and and of course her budding uh, psychic abilities that have been demonstrated, one with the ball breaking. And then the second time in the principal's office by flipping this ashtray, no one seems as alarmed at that I don't know if they think, oh, she must have bumped it. She she was nowhere near it. She literally, or maybe they can't say that she did it for certain, but one thing's for certain, an ashtray in a fucking high school with like smoldering cigarettes and ash in it, hilarious, but 1976, mm-hmm. um, rose off the desk and flipped and went all over the place, seemingly with nothing touching it, no outside interference. And they're genuinely shocked that that happens, but there is no follow-up questions. There is, there's, there's no, the thread doesn't lead anywhere. No one seems really, and, and, you know, maybe that would have maybe triggered her her teacher saying, you know, when she was in the bathroom, a a bulb just exploded over her head. But a, we're in the age of Erie Geller at this time, so there's people bending spoons on TV, so everyone's like, ooh, telekinesis is real, and it's wonderful, and I wish I could move objects with my mind. Or people explain away things all of the time. Yeah. They definitely explained away the light exploding with coincidence. Would explain, she must have bumped the table. Someone must have bumped the table. The gym teacher must have bumped the table. Yeah. Someone must have bumped the table. Yeah. That, or maybe there was a flaw in the ceramic of the ashtray and a, a bubble had formed while it was being fired in the kiln when it was produced. And all of a sudden, the change in air temperature, because of summertime, had made this really small air bubble that had been trapped under pressure for so long finally burst and it was like an explosive like a like a like a moon lander taken off i like this uh explanation a lot because i i just kept you reminding me of government officials that, that it's like it was uh, uh light reflected off of uh venus uh, that hit some swamp gas, and that was the lights in the sky. <laughs> yeah. That is how you explain away shit, and people do it all the fucking time. So yeah. I could see people explaining, Carrie's mother must have explained away shit yeah. all of her fucking life, because this would have manifest slowly, but surely. It's, it doesn't seem like that big of a shock to Carrie, yeah. even with the ashtray scene. I don't think she noticed the light bulb exploding over her as much as anyone else did. But... As with poltergeist activity, telekinetic activity often corresponds with a woman's change of life as a young girl. Mm -hmm. And it gets stronger. Oh, interesting, interesting. Carrie, in certain aspects, does stick up for herself. It does take a lot. And you can tell that she really thinks about wanting to say something but doesn't, but then eventually does. Because she doesn't necessarily bend to her mother instantaneously all the time. She does talk back in a sense of, of refusing to want to do things, repeating scripture, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it's not as though she is just a quiet, meek person. And also she does things 
like listen into phone conversations, acts like she can't hear it. Uh, basically, what I always tell people um, you know, when it comes to uh, my parenting advice, hey, everybody, it's Canada's dad, Wes, uh, is, is like strict, the strict, uh, strict parents raise the best liars. Um, and so she had like, you know, even when her mother's getting a phone call and she's coming downstairs to make sure oh, I'm, she's putting on a sweater, she's making herself look more chaste and humbled and, and shit like that. And, and, uh, you know, she doesn't want her bare arms or perhaps her dirty pillows out, even though they are just breasts, mother, and everyone has them. Mm-hmm. Which is a line way later, but it speaks to how Carrie tries to carry on a fucking normal conversation with her mom as best as she can, even when her mom is screaming at her, forcing her to repeat scripture, and forcing her into her knees, forcing her into a closet to pray, yeah. and things like that. But Carrie tries, against all odds, to at least engage her mother on a person-to-person level, even though it fails and is doomed to fail. She doesn't stop trying, so she's really mm-hmm. resilient considering how beat down she is. Yeah. A lot of these girls that uh, that are bullying Carrie at school seem to to only get in on the action when it's happening. But there is a ringleader, a ringleader who um, that's Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. She uh, has the probably the worst attitude <laughs> of anyone because it seems so. Why is she so angry at Carrie for them all getting in trouble for what they had done to her? They they all got detention. And uh, the gym teacher, Miss Collins, she's a fucking not having it. And I don't know where it comes from. If it is just she is the audience wanting to shield and protect Carrie from uh, the, the negatives of the outside world. Nothing you can do about home. Although she would basically take it upon herself to be like a, almost a surrogate mother or older sister. Um, saying like, oh, you know, you're really pretty and, and I'm going to help you out and I'm going to punish these girls for hurting you. And they get punished pretty severely. The biggest punishment that they could probably try to cook up is no uh, prom. That's, oh my God. Yeah, which is a perfect. And I think that this doesn't happen enough because teachers are sort of hobbled in this way where they can't really interfere with the way children are behaving amongst one another yeah. certainly can't interfere on with the home life yeah um they could be fire they're, they're really living in fear as yeah. far as interfering with children oh yeah in this, any way shape or form this wouldn't happen today and it fucking should yeah oh yeah the, uh, these days i mean if a teacher were to you could choke on it for all i care it would like people would be pulling out their cell phones and like recording this teacher like talking to this daughter and then the school would just fire her, like the next day or something like that slapping her like she does in the in the field in front of all those people and but i mean she gets her point across but that sows the seeds for ultimate revenge on Carrie, not the teacher, not the teacher that's disciplining them no of course not and this is the same problem that we see in full metal jacket you know, you have somebody that fucked up and the powers that be punish everybody in place of that particular person or do it to, you know, teach the whole crowd a lesson mm-hmm. about how you don't pick on this one person and they're going to get it later that night. It's You see it in jail films and in real life often. You punish a whole team because one person fucked up. That person is definitely going to get retaliated upon. That's all just socks and soap. Socks and soap, and that's what this is. This is a, a very long, drawn-out socks and soap. 
It really, really is. It's uh, not exactly the most uh, sophisticated of plans, but there's two plans going on right now in this moment. Yeah. Uh, and and what I like about this film is, at, it, or the story in particular, is in this juncture, we're not really sure why Carrie is about to be asked to prom. Why this one girl who was taking part in uh, bullying Carrie all of a sudden asked her golden fleeced Adonis to <laughs> to ask Carrie to prom. It's this. It's and he doesn't want to do it initially. And you think that because you're. It's immediately followed by a scene with uh, Chris with her fucking bow. John Travolta. John Travolta just fucking, fucking cruising around with his wavy hair, slobbering beer all over his face like he's a basset hound. I can't even handle that when he can't even <laughs> drink fucking beer properly, and it's all over his face for most of the scenes. Every time he takes a sip of beer, it ends up absolutely all over his face, and I don't understand that. I hope that John Travolta doesn't drink water like that in real life. That's oh my god! And and just like yeah, it's just sitting on his face, just like goo all over his fucking lips and mouth and shit like that. Yep. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, they have a disgusting relationship, and and uh, this is immediately followed. So Sue asks her boyfriend Tommy to take Carrie to the prom. Now this is after uh, she's gotten chewed out. It's, there's been two different scenes where she's gotten chewed out by the, the the teacher about their treatment of Carrie. I mean, it's not just her getting yelled at. No, everyone. the entire class, the entire class, and this is, I suppose, a typical high school formation where you don't have. Different classes with different people. You have the same homeroom class that travels with you through every mm-hmm. class. So this is her class and her entire class. We'll call them HC. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The whole class is responsible. The whole class was in on it. Every mm-hmm. single person. Sue seems to be the only one that fucking feels bad. Yeah. Sue feels that the best thing to do is to ask her boyfriend, uh, to go take Carrie to the prom. Now, part of this is probably triggered by the fact that Miss Collins asks Sue, who, who are you going with? And, and she responds with you know, Tommy here and he's like, Oh, well, how lucky for you? Or like, of course you are or something like that. Like, isn't that so great? You're taking a popular, good looking boy to the prom. Aren't you? Ha- oh, I can't wait for you to have a fucking good time. Meanwhile, Carrie, the person that you were tormenting is, tormented and also doesn't have these opportunities. And so she, for some reason, starts thinking that the best course of action is to try to like, normalize her, I guess. Like, like have an experience, a high, a high school experience that everyone gets. And she will not go to the prom and, and give her boy and, and basically give uh, Carrie her boyfriend for the night as like a little, uh, here you go. Um, he doesn't want to do it at first, but again, we're thinking. We just saw we we saw this scene, and then we saw a scene with Chris like blowing her boyfriend while saying "I hate Carrie" and wanting to get back at her somehow. So we think that this might be part of it. Maybe it's hard to say at this juncture. Yeah, the the Billy and Chris relationship you had said um, is horrible, and it, they're very toxic individuals. It's really hard to watch. It's hard enough to watch him drink beer. But to watch the way that she has this, like, weird Madonna horror bullshit porn star fucking 
shrew bullshit that she pulls on him mm-hmm. it's hard to fucking watch like yeah i really hate her and i know you're supposed to i mean they do a good job of making me hate her but it is just disgusting played mm-hmm. well i suppose but yeah yeesh but we know that they have a plan because in the same sort of tone where sue had asked tommy i have something that i need you to do for me mm-hmm. Chris asks her boyfriend that there's something that she wants him to do for her. So you know, just intrinsically, that both of these things have to do with poor old Carrie White. One is coming from a place of charity and one coming from a place of hatred. And I would argue, why doesn't Sue just go try and fucking befriend Carrie? Just yeah. go try and be her friend. You want to help her? You want to normalize her? Go be her fucking friend. Yeah. But on the other hand, maybe that is a little more disingenuous because she doesn't want to be Carrie's friend. Carrie's not a very friendly person. True. She's not a friendly person. And this, in a way, takes the onus off of her to really do anything. She asked her boyfriend to do it. And after some reluctance, he was just sitting there watching Westerns and shit. And he finally agrees to do it. Now he's the one that has to approach Carrie. He's the one that has to ask her out. He's the one that has to take her to prom. Seems to come pretty naturally to him, though. Because what's Sue going to do? You know, that doesn't come across as lesbianism. Yeah, true. Uh, and uh, he asks uh, Carrie out in the in the in the library, and then she says no because she sees right through that. Yeah, she, she's not an idiot, and I I do like this aspect of Carrie is the fact that it seems like a trick, and uh, even though when she's talking to her teacher, which really is her only friend, um. Even though it's 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 really uh, from a place of uh, again it's really it's not like oh we're we're gal pals it really is uh, like a teacher student like type it friendship. very much is she's just like a living library book because Carrie starts turning to the library mm-hmm. uh, for answers about her telekinesis for one thing because she's noticed she has this mm-hmm. and uh, it seems that she reads up about other things like dirty pillows like and dirty pillows. bleeding out your vagina and stuff yeah. like that because no one fucking fills her in. The gym teacher sort of does, starts her on that path, but mm-hmm. she feels inspired by that, I think, to learn a lot more about the way that people are supposed to behave. I, I think that Sue's boyfriend's just a lot better at this, where I think that the other women may get frustrated. And even the gym teacher admits at one point, like, I just wanted to fucking shake her because women should know about these things. you got to learn about these things. You have to just mm-hmm. snap out of it and socialize. Just break out of your little fucking cocoon. Um, so everyone seems to have this almost anger toward Carrie that she won't or can't yeah. break out. But Sue's boyfriend's just so easy, breezy, happy-go-lucky and friendly and affable and yeah. the hair. Oh, my man. God, that hair. Holy that hair. shit. And the light science to it just so. I'm glad that he didn't. He never uh, lived long enough to lose his hair. Yeah. I think, like, he died. He was too too beautiful to live. He <laughs> needed to die right then and there. Um, there's, there's a point in which you might suspect that Sue is not on the level. And she's in cahoots with Chris. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and it's kind of hard to say whether she is or isn't, uh, at this juncture. Now, fucking Miss Collins isn't having any of this after she talks to Carrie and, and gives her like awkward as fuck. Like, I hate these, like, why don't you just put on some lipstick and tie your hair back? You'll be cute. Um, I, I think that, uh, I was like, well, how about you just like 
whatever. It, it's just like how I've, I've had those conversations directed at me, and that is extremely fucking depressing. And nine times out of ten, backfires. And it's it feels wrong that it works on Carrie. Yeah, it feels wrong, but but again, and we talked about this while we were watching the film. There there is a sense of longing for normalcy, and I don't know. Maybe Carrie would put on a little bit of makeup later, or, or let's say that things don't go the way they go, and she tried to put on makeup, and she was like, you know what, I did feel kind of good about myself, maybe in moderation for me, if, if I feel like it. Or maybe she's like, you know what, on special occasions I'll put on makeup, but for the most part I feel fine uh, just staying staying uh, plain, like not feeling the need to put on makeup. Whatever, like, but I think like it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a longing for the ritual of it, of just like, yeah, like, Every, people sometimes people who seem happy and normal to me do these rituals. Maybe I'll feel less ostracized and weird if I also do these rituals. Because the rituals I'm forced into sort of the, I want to say kneeling on a broomstick, but that's from the book. But like kneeling in the closet and mm-hmm. prayer and recitation and all of these things aren't fucking working for me because yeah. people ca- think that she's funny as she puts it yeah people call her creepy carrie um so these rituals aren't working the ones that normal people do quote unquote or average people is a better word mm-hmm. seem to work for them because they're not getting fucking bullied and they understood what happened when they started bleeding out their vagina um, I think there's a certain amount of empowerment that isn't discussed in the film. Just with, she's not a little girl anymore. Yeah, that's it. And if she's owning that, and it seems to be, mm-hmm. um, as simple as I have the freedom to not only leave my mom someday, which will inevitably happen, to go out and learn about these things and mm-hmm. maybe try some of these things that I kept my blinders on for for my mother's sake. Mm-hmm. Until now, but I'm not a little girl anymore, so I can choose to break out of my little cocoon. Yeah, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. I, I I feel as though Carrie is sort of coming into her own, and this being asked out initially, she doesn't want to, and it's probably not that she wouldn't go. It's just that she thinks it's a trick initially, and also that is a whole conversation with my mother that I don't want to have. That and like her mom vocalizes later with they're all going to laugh at you. Mm -hmm. That's what's initially running through her head is, oh, yeah, sure. This is all a big trick and they're all going to laugh at me. And Mm -hmm. I don't want that. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to set myself up to be bullied because I'm not an idiot. All of a sudden, one of the best looking, most popular guys in school asked me into the prom and I know that he has a girlfriend and the girlfriend partakes in teasing me. And, like, all of a sudden now he's asking me out. She does like him a little bit because she thinks he wrote that uh, poem. Uh, he did. He did write it. Well, I thought he said later that he didn't. Oh, I missed that. Oh, well. Wow. Now he's who, not paying attention. Yeah, yeah now he's not paying attention. Now, I don't know if he was, like, kidding around because he definitely has the, the, the thing I like about Tommy is just when anything might get serious for one second, he stares at you and stares at you. And then big old smile and kind of laughs. And there's no answer to what she's saying ever. He's just like, <laughs> big smile. And, and she's just like, okay, I guess. I was like, fuck, man, must be nice to be attractive. That's all he does. That is his answer to everything. Yeah. And even when he's being browbeaten by his own girlfriend in her gentle way, yeah. he just responds with that. 
Seriously, um, especially when she is saying, like, Miss Collins is like, why? Why are you asking th- this girl out? Anytime anyone directly asks why he agreed to anything or or if he wants to actually do something, he just fucking pause, big smile, kind of laugh. And, and his girlfriend speaks for him. Yeah, his girlfriend speaks for him. <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, I like uh, Sue. She's the, she seems like she's trying to do the right thing. And in this moment, she is explaining herself. It could be fucking bullshit. She might be lying. Oh, at this point, I like Sue's approach. The more I think about it, because part of me does want to say, just go be Carrie's friend. And But I get it, how that wouldn't work. This is taking a little kid and throwing them in the deep end of the pool and being like, can you swim? We'll find out. Oh, look, you're a good swimmer. Check it out. Or, oh, it's drowning. Let's pick it up and, mm-hmm. and get it out of there. She wasn't going to, like abandon them at the prom and like well if everyone laughs at her that's their own problem Mm -hmm. she was present to see how that went and i'm sure she would have stepped in and pulled carrie out if anything got really bad Mm -hmm. before everything got to a point where it was like a tipping point from no return tipping point yeah nice well (laughs) yeah but so she wasn't going to be completely absent through this experiment, but it was just that, an experiment, like sort of sink or swim. Like, well, we'll try. Here's a, the ultimate fucking Barbie dream castle version of the perfect life, the normal average life that we all get to experience, the gym teacher pointed out, that we all get to experience and you don't. So here, here's princess for a day. We'll see how you feel after. Yeah, exactly. And... I think Sue more than anything wants to craft for Carrie a, a happy memory of high school. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the last four years have been a miserable fucking isolating experience and maybe I contributed to that. So how about I give you the ultimate uh, prom experience? You're going to go with Tommy. Tommy has friends. They're popular. And the, and you think for a moment, yeah, okay, all right. But since, you know, we know what movie we're watching, we know how it all ends. I mean, it's on the fucking poster. That's yeah. so weird to me, that ad campaign for this film. If people aren't familiar, I mean, it shows Carrie, like, in all of her uh, glory on the poster. So I, I was always confused. I was like, why would that just be right on the the ad? Won't you want to save that and and do something else? I don't know. It's It's strange to me that they basically just do a still shot from the movie. Like, here it is. This is that scene. (laughs) But eventually, uh, Carrie does agree to do something. And we also know that there's, like, something else cooking while this is cooking. Because we have fucking John Travolta and Chris, I'm just going to call him John Travolta forever, Mm -hmm. uh, going to a pig farm. Pig farm. Now, this is an aspect of the film that I did forget because I had forgotten that they literally slaughter a pig to get this blood as opposed to going to as you had pointed out a butcher shop and it's like a harrowing bit um yeah they should have just went to a butcher shop but that would have made them a little more sanitized as individuals this also helps us really cement how evil they really are Mm -hmm. not only are they doing this horrible shit to carry not only do they not care about anyone around them or even one another because they're really shitty to one another yeah they're gonna kill a pig uh, a poor innocent little grunty for a, pig for a prank for a prank like the dead pig's not even really the prank the pig's blood is the prank yeah like could you imagine could you imagine if somebody killed you and before they killed you they said this is for a prank for later this isn't really about you 
<laughs> Could you fucking imagine? Like someone wanted to like set up your corpse to spook someone uh, when they got home from work or something, and you're all just like arranged in a chair. It's like, eh, pretty funny, right? Scared you well, guess that's how we treat animals anyway. And like we kill animals for a fucking barbecue. Yeah, that's like, not a prank. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have just went to the butcher shop, but it wouldn't have been as cinematic. It wouldn't have been as fun in the book. It wouldn't have been as as good for building how evil these people are. Yeah, it's a real Lord of the Flies moment. It's just like this aspect of, of just like what... And, and again, we see this in, in this film several times of just what a mob mentality can do when you have teenagers. Like they can be just vicious, awful fucking people and uh when they smell blood no pun intended they will frenzy mm-hmm. so th- this is w- so we're gearing up towards something now carrie does something uh now in the film that i always thought was really interesting uh because it's not how i would suspect that she would uh go about this she asks her mother point blank if she can go to the prom as opposed to just Sneaking out and doing it. She's a good kid. She is a good kid. Um, I, I, I suppose it, it for someone who kind of agrees under duress because Tommy's like standing on her doorway and saying, I'm not leaving until I agree to go to the prom with me. Because she kind of wants to, but she, you know, doesn't want to at the same time because A, she thinks it's a trick and B, her mother and all these other reasons. Because, 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 right? Um, but when she does agree... And then comes to her mother. It it is it is a moment for her that I find fascinating to watch because the last time we saw her and her mother in conflict, Carrie was being dragged, dragged into the fucking cupboard like she's Harry Potter, and fucking locked in there and forced to pray pray until her her mom decided that it was. Yeah, pray, pray to her creepy Jesus figure that looks like Dio. Yeah. And and it really does. When you point that out, I can't see it any other way. <laughs> With glowing What's eyes. What's always been the very creepy Jesus. Like when I think of when someone says, like, oh, Christianity, like the uh imagery is very grotesque, and there's a lot of things in churches that I find unsettling that are that scared me as a kid or whatever. I think of this Jesus. With yeah. seven wounds and he's enraptured and Mm -hmm. he's gaunt and bleeding and it's scary it's very scary looking deal jesus in the the church that i grew up uh at they had um jesus uh in a cruciform above like a huge cross uh above uh above the the pulpit and uh the jesus that was on it uh like the whole cross was removable so they took it down during easter and they would march with it yeah yeah. and then uh and then it would be gone because you know he was gone for you know the time that he was gone for but anyway yeah and 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 the thing that was really creepy was there was like that big uh wound in his side from where uh longinus the blind roman centurion uh stabbed him to see if jesus was dead uh and i always like like it was just carved so grotesquely, I feel. So you just like staring at it through the entire fucking service is so gross. Um, I yeah, uh, it, it is it is a really uh, a powerful uh, iconic image, and and it's just in this little cupboard, and you can tell that she goes there a lot. But the second time we see Carrie really standing up for herself, insisting that I want to go, and and even when her mother. In, during dinner, they're they're having like a fairly normal, quiet. A very, 
fairly normal and quiet, but also abnormal in a way that it is the most beautiful little dinner I ever did see. Yeah. They've got the nice candles. They have mm-hmm. a picture of the Last Supper up behind them. Mm-hmm. This is where you're reminded that this is a Brian De Palma film. Yeah. And this is the man that brought you Carlito's Way and Scarface yeah. and Body Double of all fucking things. There was something else that he did that I, um, more recent, Black Dahlia. Bam. Totally forgot that he did that. But, um, the Carlita's Way and Scarface and a lot of crime films. Mm-hmm. This speaks to that and mm-hmm. it speaks to that sort of like opulence yeah. and intense conversations had between two people over mm-hmm. a meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her mother in, in one move just throws her drink at, at Carrie and extinguishes the candles and Carrie really, uh, I mean, she like is upset, but she really tries to like stay focused. She just wipes the drink from her face basically and carries on with he's a really nice guy it's going to be okay yeah it's like you would like him and she of course her mentality is that's what happens it's like you you have your period and then the boys start coming around and and all this shit and likening the fact that um you know you're like the devil snatched up your fucking dad and that's why he left and 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 you know carrie like fights back with like, I'm going. I said I would go, and I'm going. Yeah. And no matter what her mother is doing, and 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 there is a sense of fear in her mother when Carrie demonstrates again her powers as her mother is trying to walk out, and she doesn't want her to, like, Carrie doesn't want her to, and slams the doors, the windows shut, and stuff like that. That definitely is the start of her mother using different tactics, non violent tactics i mean and we'll see it throughout the film until you know she snaps towards the end but in this case it's it's a it's almost like like negotiating any way that she can through threats don't work so she'll try guilt she'll try anything that she could possibly do but carrie is saying this is happening and her mother almost seems neutered in a way where she just is like is devolves into hand wringing and pacing and eventually injuring herself trying to stop this from happening and then begging and pleading with Carrie and again, Carrie's just making her dress. And again, this was, this is taking on an interesting dynamic of what it would be like to have a parent with severe mental illness. And you're Mm -hmm. just trying to calm them down and, and and hope and and go on with your day as best you can while they're pulling out their hair and, and making stuff up where, She's sewing her dress, which is a very light pink, nearly white, like very light rose color. And her mom's like, red, red like sin, harlot. Oh, it's kind of, you know, basically she says that the dress is red. And Carrie points out, it's pink, mom. (laughs) Yeah, it's pink. It's not red. Yeah, you're making stuff up. Yeah. But that's the the fucking mom Carrie has come to know. And she just sees through it now and can speak that because... Carrie's mom's very afraid of her at this point, not only for the freaky telekinesis, which would scare the hell out of anybody. She's also chalking that up as, at first, God talking through her that those were miracle signs. She was some sort of miracle worker, that it was God. She was touched by God. But now she's, of course, translating this as Satan, because this is obviously evil, whatever Mm -hmm. Carrie has as a power. She's also very afraid of her as a strong woman, because Carrie is suddenly becoming a stronger woman. She is. In baby um, steps. In, and these baby steps terrify the shit out of her mom, who admits a little later, and who we could suspect had had moments of weakness and lived in a very weak, meek state of 
being for all of her life, a very weak woman entirely because of that first initial, what she views as a sin of enjoying sex once. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty sad existence for her mother. Uh, and, and, it, and it really, but it's empowering to watch Carrie see through that because if her mother, if her mother was keeping this secret about her mental, menstrual cycle and also like she's heard her mother say things about her father and about her marriage and stuff like that. And it's all delusional lies framed through religious rhetoric. And, and she goes to the library, she starts reading more. And, and I, I would a wager every day was like a revelation of what else has my mother been keeping from me? What else has she gotten wrong? Yeah. And, and, and also the fact that even at the very beginning, when she is forced to repeat a lot of that scripture, you don't get this this sense that she's a very pious girl that it that it like puts much stock into what these are uh, these phrases and fucking incantations, basically. No, she's literally only repeating what her mom is telling her to to get a word in edgewise and to make her mom stop and make her mom stop hitting her. Yeah, which you had pointed out that you remembered Carrie's mother being a lot more violent. Yeah, a lot more violent. But she's not really. But I think that maybe as when we were younger watching this, it was much more shocking. Mm -hmm. And we would put ourselves into the shoes of somebody that age a little more readily. And it seemed a lot more shocking. Yeah. Yeah, and we were absolutely. also shocked at the beginning with the whole menstrual blood thing, because as much as having a toilet flushing in Psycho was a first, I think that this was one of those firsts with menstrual blood. Not only menstrual blood, but menstrual blood being quite obviously menstrual blood and it's smeared all over people. I mean, so we're being, already like unsettled. Yeah, being a plot point and um, and and really bringing that part of uh, of a young woman's development front and center, mm-hmm. and and to to demonstrate uh, mean girls. In a, in a way that a lot of people wouldn't fashion, right? And, you know, like your, the locker perspective uh, for me was when I would see scenes like this with girls' locker room, I was like, oh, I had no idea that – I had no idea that people could be like, are they that mean or something like that? I was like, who's to say? And because I remember my fear about being in a locker was always like, fuck, man. It was like every time I see dudes in a locker in a movie, there's always just a bunch of fucking studs standing around in their underwear talking about how much they bang chicks. And like that's what's a locker room. And then when I got to high school, I was like, oh, this is what it's actually like. Everyone ashamed of their own bodies and staring at the floor getting changed as quickly as possible and then leaving. The only locker room that I encountered, a woman's locker room, without all the anger and the bullying (laughs) um, and the plug it up and throw in tampon stuff. Just with the the free and easy and and jocular, jovial, Mm -hmm. half-naked, fully-naked, chicks just stomping around. Uh, Was that a good life for women? Yeah. yeah. I remember going to, to like, public pools and in the change rooms there. There's always just, like, some big old hairy dude that's just, like, my whole dick and balls are out. And I'm just 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 talking to you. Just talking. What's going on there, sport? I'm like, I don't know, man. Nice penis. I'm... (laughs) <laughs> going over here now. <laughs> anyway, uh, but it's all happening so fast. It's like, and, and really with the with the brisker runtime that I remember, they don't really have a lot of time to let certain scenes breathe, especially since... They don't have time to let certain scenes breathe. You know, like when they're shopping for tuxedos and they actually chipmunk and speed up a certain point. That is so fucking crazy to me. And also, it, it's, it's a funny conversation because it almost becomes... 
a totally different movie. It's like a teen like romp now where it's like dudes going to get tuxedos and they're getting dressed and like his buddies who we've never like we've never seen these guys really before and yet we're getting like some fucking screen time with them of like joking around and and like laughing and one of them just doesn't want to wear a tuxedo he ends up wearing like a stupid tuxedo fucking t-shirt i was thinking moron and 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 yeah they speed up and i I would be watching that I, i just wish i was around when this was initially re- released. I was like, I wonder what the, uh, an audience reaction to this particular scene was. And because meanwhile, we're also just having Carrie just trying on lipstick in, at the store and I don't like this one and wiping it off and trying another one. And I was like, all right, all right. But no, yeah, you're right. That fucking chipmunk scene is weird. Yeah, it's really just sort of thrown in there. Like he does use some very interesting camera tricks later. Some very um, giallo crime. You know, oh, that's where yeah. he's, he's oh, coming yeah. from. That's where his heart is. So it fits. It works really well here, and it's techniques that hadn't been used in horror that I know of anyway uh, on this continent. But, oh, so effective, too. But they don't use the speeding up. Or they use a lot of slowing down later mm-hmm. on and soundlessness, soundlessness sound isolation, yeah. which is fucking fascinating. But that sped up scene, it sort of hits you the way that the reverse scene in Funny Games does. Where you're yeah. like, whoa, whoa, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. But, I mean, De Palma is being very experimental with, with how he would decided to film these shots. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an answer to maybe someone that this scene's running a little long. Could you, and he was like, I'll fucking show you a scene that runs a little long and I'll fucking like speed it up. There you go. Fixed, right? And I'm not cutting the scene. He's like, I know, I need every fucking word, every syllable of this dialogue is relevant to my fucking plot. But too too long? All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll just speed up the scene. There we go. That could very well be it. I would love watching your runtime here. I would love that. I would if I that would was fucking love that. If if he got a note saying cut this scene and he said no and they said it's too long. And so he's like, fine. And then they got it back and they were probably just shaking their heads, fine. Yeah. Fuck fine. Yeah, it's four, four seconds too long. We're going to take eight seconds and double time it. <laughs> Fixed. Assholes. Very, very good. And they're getting ready for prom, and, it, and it's it's happening. It's happening for Carrie. Carrie seems happy. She's making a dress, pretty dress. And mm-hmm. her mom is being ridiculous, but she has become kind of uh, docile in a way, in, a way, in a which it's like, I don't think that she's going to be violent. Like you said, neuter. Yeah, you neuter. Know? She just yeah. seems very helpless in these scenes. Uh, like Lord knows, like that'll fucking change. But um, for now, it seems like you know Carrie's all right, and she's getting ready for the prom, and it's time to go to prom. And fucking don't worry, this guy is good to his word. He shows up. You can see his hair from fucking three blocks away, mm-hmm. but he's there to pick her up and carries off to the prom. It probably smells like a strawberry shortcake doll. Do you think so? I think so. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, before Carrie's off to the prom, her and her mom have some final words. And she doesn't want to argue with her mother. It's like, I'm going to prom. There's nothing you can do. I'll be back in good time. He's a nice guy. Nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. This isn't sinful. This is happy. And this is good. Mm-hmm. So you sit there, and she pushes her mom mentally mm-hmm. back and away from her onto the bed twice. Pins her down mm-hmm. with his psychic power, which has got to be a fucking terrifying thing. Yeah. Not only is it terrifying to Carrie's mother, Carrie's mother decides right then and there that we shall not suffer a witch to live. So mm-hmm. she's decided ultimately yeah. that this power and her daughter is evil. 
She has, especially since Carrie has, you know, asserted her dominance and, and said, I am, I, you know, she says, I can see your, your, your dirty pillows. And I can see, she's like, they're breasts, mom, they're breasts. Okay. And everyone has them. Yeah. But dirty pillows and they're all going to laugh. You all happen in the same scene and they're yeah. just like such little tiny lines, but just so potent Yeah, and have really and stuck through the ages. And, and even her mother saying all this kind of shit, saying like, oh, he's, he's, this is a trick. He's going to laugh at you. He's going to do this or he's not going to show up or you'll see he's not going to show up. And she's like, oh, mother, like I'm nervous enough as it is. It's, it's, it's very exasperated. And, and, and it's like, it's a different carry. This carry coming to like about to go to the prom. I love it. it like it, it's, it's so fucking sweet and assertive and determined. And th- yeah. And, and she's like, I'm doing this. Okay. Like I'm fucking going to go have a good time. And I don't think you're right. Basically. Mm-hmm. And she goes, uh, when she gets picked up there, there, there is a bit of a, a sea change in, in what she's nervous about. Because I, I suppose in much the same way that, you know, you were saying Sue's attitude of like, throwing her into the deep end and seeing if she knows how to swim. I think there's, there's a combination and she does vocalize this a little bit, but she, she uh, feels as though she's lost so much time. Everyone else knows how to do these things. And I don't know how to do these things. I don't know how to dress properly. I don't know how to dance. I don't know how to go to prom. I don't know how to go on a date with a boy. I've never done that before. I've never, even if she would think about it, it would probably be beaten down uh, literally by her mother or just mentally just the idea of like, oh, well, that could never happen because my mother would never allow it type thing. Just always living under the thumb. But with this new assertive uh, embracement of her or embracing of her powers and, uh, and, and finding some agency, it's opened up a world of possibilities. But it's a world that she feels unequipped to deal with. Uh, and so it, it comes off as she becomes very shy and very quiet and just wants to sit and watch and be the, she wants to be there, but she wants to be a wallflower. And it's nice. The moments when she first gets to prom, I mean, even Mrs. Collins is like, Oh, okay. I guess you, this is a good guy. Like, I guess he said he was going to take her to the prom and here she is. And his friends are being nice to her. Everyone's and, being pretty normal. Pretty yeah. Cordial. Every, and, yeah. And, and that's, and that's really it. And even if it's only for one night, it would be perfectly fine just as it is. Up to a certain point, this is the exact perfect night that we would wish for Carrie White. You know, she got to get out of her house without getting beaten. She had a wonderful dress, looked stunning, looked mm-hmm. – she fit in. She mm-hmm. fit in perfectly. And even if they would have just sat there all night, that's made doubly fine by her gym teacher's story of, you know, when I went to prom, I'd wore too high of shoes and my we'd walk there and – my feet were sore, so I couldn't dance. So we end up sitting and talking the whole night, me and my date, and it was magical. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems a very genuine story. I don't think she was making that up. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, you can just go to prom and not have to hit all the fucking goal posts, right? Mm-hmm. You can just sit there and wallflower out. And and not only can she wallflower out, it's a, it's a good example of... Here is Mrs. Collin, who's who's you know a beautiful woman. She would probably she sound she would listen. She went to prom with the captain of the basketball team. Sounds to me that if she wasn't a, one of the more popular girls in school, she probably was at least part of that group, right? Uh, a, a, an accepted person. And she's like, here's a story about me fucking up. Yeah, like fucking up. I, I said I thought that if my date was six five and I was my height. 
and I got these big heels, I could, by the end of the night, kiss, it won't be awkward. So I did all this thing to not be awkward. And because of that, uh, be, and his car broke down and we had to walk and I had blisters. So the night that I envisioned was not the night that we had, but it was still great. Like you said, magical. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, she really has this moment when uh, Sissy Spacex uh, does a great job listening, listening to the story, like having like this, I can't believe like you, you had like an embarrassing story and then everything turned out fine. And so she's like, oh, okay, I, I see you. Even these people that I think are perfect and never fuck up, fuck up all the time. They must because she did. Yeah. And these little rituals get fucked up too. And you have to plan for them to a certain extent because there's a good night kiss. Fuck. What? No one told me about that. You know, she has this look on her face too. Like I'm having a conversation with a human at prom. What the fuck? And she vocalizes moments later that she feels like she's on Mars. Mm. It sort of feels like Mars, the little stars yeah. in the sky. It's nice you know, decoration. I like, like this. Oh, too. I love the decorations for this prom. And this is, I, you know, I knew better. I knew that there was no prom in my future. And okay. I knew that it wouldn't look like this if there was. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty fairy tale. But when they're making their way through the crowd, because of course her date, like a good date, asks her to dance. You see, he already had punch for her on the table. Oh, he yeah. He didn't need to make the excuse of going to get punch. Yeah. He literally went to talk to friends for a moment and came right back like a good boy. Mm-hmm. And so they're making their way through the dance floor. And the baseline of the song, the look of the the scene, and the way they're making their way through the crowd remind me so much of the ballroom scene in Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Like so very much. Which is just wild. I need to watch it again and match up those bass lines for some. some that'd, be some, that'd be some. That's my horror experiment of the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. It isn't dumping a bucket of pig's blood on you. Well, that's good because I feel like I would just uh, get a bunch of coagulated blood on me that would stick like tar. And then I'd probably get knocked unconscious by the galvanized bucket hitting my head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when... when uh, Tommy and Carrie are having their moment on the dance floor and he goes to kiss her. Uh, I have this interesting thought. First of all, this scene is incredibly dizzying. And again, like a really weird experimental thing. We've seen lots of films in our lifetime where a camera is circling around somebody, but I can't think of another scene that is that tight. And the spinning just keeps happening while they're having this this fairly normal conversation and Carrie's admitting I can't do anything right. And he's being so fucking sweet to her. And there's this moment where again, she's asking, uh, why did you ask me out? Like, why am I here? Why did you ask me? Why did you want to? it's, It's there's all these doubts running through her head from her own intelligence and also probably what her mother said. And, and so she, it's just in this moment where they kissed and I feel like she's almost like floating on air. She fucking likes this guy. This is a good day. She's happy, but she's waiting for something bad to happen because she doesn't buy it. She, it's this final moment of where she is going to totally allow herself to be happy, but she needs these questions answered. Yeah. Um, and in a, and, and the sad thing is, is he's a good guy and he's, he's doing it for his girlfriend but also, I can tell that he he's genuinely, oh, this isn't bad. Oh, she's not a creepy weirdo. Oh, she's actually just a really shy, pretty girl, and I, I like her. And he's demonstrated this by, do you want to do something? At, like, I know you have to go home early, but did you want to go to this thing after the prom? Because she's like, we can go with your friends. He's like, well, I'm asking you to go. 
you know, and, and, and shit like that. But the, he is lying to her because the reason why he said yes really was because Sue made him say yes. Sue made him, but I, I, and I wish that there was a, a couple more bits of conversation about his motivations and Carrie's understanding of that because she seems to really understand that and even after the kiss she doesn't seem totally starstruck she's just no. grateful I think that that's the yeah. number one sentiment that she has for him mm-hmm. aside from like you know there's got to be a certain level of attraction he's a very attractive man yeah. and he's very friendly and he's very good he's a very good person and she can feel that and mm-hmm. you know like up against her mother who is a very horrible person Mm -hmm. he's like adonis for for truth but i think that she really does intrinsically understand that the only thing that ever sat badly with me was that he she had a picture of him clipped from the newspaper beside her mirror which seemed too (laughs) idolatory and too like she was falling for him or she had always sort of like admired him from afar which didn't sit well with me because I'm like, she's going to be setting herself up for something that's not going to happen. She's going to fall for this guy and he's definitely mm-hmm. taken and it's, it's known she's going to have some sort of expectations that she shouldn't have. But you had pointed out that's part of this ritual that she's, you know, going and trying on lipstick, making herself a dress and fawning over her corsage and learning these things mm-hmm. by mimicking others. So having mm-hmm. the picture of him up there, it's sort of like a goal thing, you know? Yeah. I get it now, so it doesn't sit so badly with me with you sort of driving home that it's these rituals she's trying to follow. Uh, yeah. The ritual of going to the peach pit or wherever the hell they're going afterward. Um, she says, I've never been there before with like stars in her eyes. Yeah. yeah. Because she's like, well, that's what all the normal kids do. They go to this hangout place and... Maybe I've like walked by it and 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 just was imagine if imagine if I went there mm-hmm. as as almost as if you were saying imagine if I went to Mars <laughs> and, and and I can understand like I was an uh, an introverted kid growing up and, and 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 very early in my teen years I was still very much in my shell very isolated I was a big loner so I I feel I I think the reason why I understand Carrie's motivations and the need for these rituals was because when I started doing things that I had seen teens do in movies and on TV shows, going to a house party, going on a date, going to a school dance, going uh, downtown for the first time with with uh, teen, like friends to go uh, like uh, try to sneak into a bar or something like that, I was like oh like it was. It was not so much that I really wanted to do it because that's my idea of fun. It was that I was more enamored with this is like what they do. This is a rite of passage. This is a, and it, I have just been given the golden ticket. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, and now I can look back at my teen years and say, oh yeah, I did that when I was a teenager, as opposed to, oh, I never did anything because I was always too shy or too scared or, you know, t- too busy with whatever I felt I was busy with. Um, so I, I really feel for her and then I feel like a lot of these benchmarks and, and, you know, Carrie's like her high school career is almost over. Like prom, like isn't school pretty much like you're in your last legs, like a week, two weeks left after prom or is school's fucking over maybe by then? I don't know, but I, don't know. I, I really don't, but, uh, but it's gotta be towards the end, yeah. the end of the school year. And this is, this is it. There's so many things that she hadn't done while she was in high school as she was becoming a woman and 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 wanting to I want to go on a fucking date. I want to go to prom. I want to go to this stupid hangout thing. Even if even if I hate it. 
even if I never want to go back there again, at least I felt welcome there. I always wanted someone to say, will you go to this fucking place with me? And now she not only has, will you go to this place with me? Will you go to this place? Will you go to this other coveted place? Will you, you know, dance with me? Yeah. And people are complimenting her and treating her absolutely normal on a peer-to-peer level. And it's really wonderful to see. And the fun doesn't stop there. No. No. The fun does not stop there. Because they're rock and rollers. (laughs) What? Oh, no, wait. The rock and rollers are hiding under the bleachers with... A rope in their hand and getting drunk and plotting a horrible retaliatory scheme because they're bully assholes. Um, their name is on the ballot for the king and queen of prom or whatever the hell. Yeah, and fucking our the the dark the dark minion of Chris PJ Souls. Uh, My favorite. She's. <laughs> I just wanted to bring her up for a second just so you could say that she was your favorite. Yeah, Norma. No, she's totally my favorite. Yeah, I totally thought she was the shit when I was young. Yeah, I mean, I, I, her character in this is great. Her character in Halloween is is fucking funny. Uh, it, it's uh, PJ Souls is, is always a welcome sight. Her character in this of uh, Norma, er, yeah, is ridiculous like in terms of like always wearing that red rainbow hat and always having like the only one that has red shorts and gym and always wearing the red pants and then even getting her hair done with the hat sitting on top of the the dryer or whatever that thing is uh fucking hilarious she's like a cartoon character and she's part of stuffing these ballots because well chris wants her to win so she'll get up on stage because that's what the pig's blood is for. And Sue also, here's another weird thing. I was like, if you don't have a date, you can't go to the prom, which is a weird thing to me. I was like, really? Like, yeah. you have to have a date? So Sue can't go, but it's 8 o'clock and she's eating dinner with her parents. And Sue's the one that is the only reason why she's not going. The only reason why her boyfriend, and this is interesting to me. Let me ask you this. Um, do you think that Sue asking Tommy to take carry to the prom do you think that included uh smooching carry the the several times that he did no but it is also the summer of love or no wait that was 69 um de also directed dionysus 69 dionysus in 69 so it just reminds me of that uh it might not be the summer of love okay whatever but it is a free and easy time wes they're smoking cigarettes in the classroom. They're fucking, like, drinking beers while they drive. Drinking beers while they drive. Tossing beer back and forth between moving vehicles. Yeah. I mean, who would have thunk? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It is a fairly chaste kiss. It's very It was chaste. a kiss in the moment. They were, you know, feeling like on top of the world. They were spinning around and dizzy. It was dizzy kisses. Wes. It was dizzy kisses. And it was, it was definitely uh, Carrie's first kiss. And I, I love that when he goes to lean in, she, like, is almost spooked by that. Um, what are you doing? Like, oh my god! And yeah. and then she, uh, they eventually do kiss. And I think it's a combination of, yeah, there it was in the moment. It was like he was feeling it. And then I definitely think that he was genuinely starting to like her. I always was curious about if things don't get, didn't go the way they went. And afterwards, I was like, Tommy like drops her off, and someone's like, well, that was great. Like, and they're they're friends now. 
Or does he like start actually feeling something for her? I don't think so, her? because I think that he is just firing on social cues that are predetermined in somebody so popular. You're born with the script, I think. Oh, maybe, this guy, maybe. anyway. And that, you know, we're dancing. It's hit this point in the song. I'm supposed to kiss my date. And then this is where I drop my hand an inch lower on her back. And then when we get up on the stage, we I give her a peck on the cheek then as well. And I mm. hold her hand at this point. And so you, you and yeah, you might be right i think uh, so sue shows up and you think maybe i think maybe everyone thought oh because the one the linchpin of this prank on carrie carrie needs to be at the prom for this prank to work if carrie's not at the prom which she wouldn't be at the prom she would never go to the prom she wouldn't be invited then there's nothing that chris could ever do so was sue part like what did sue ask him to the prom as part phase or uh, tell her boyfriend to ask her to the prom as phase one of the, the, the plot. And we don't really know that until this moment when all she's there to do is just witness like a fucking mother watching her, her uh, daughter walk for the first time. Uh, yeah. Just, just, uh, Oh, I, she won prom queen and she probably didn't suspect that that was going to happen, but there's Carrie up on stage and she notices the rope. The rope. The rope. And you think, oh, my God, is she in on this? No, she's definitely not in this. And she tries to stop it. But, uh-oh, Miss Collins sees. Which is such a wonderful scene. Mm. I love this. This is a, a really uh, a testament to Brian De Palma being able to set up such an excruciating scene. And not in length and slowness, because it is lengthy and slow. Yeah. But just excruciating mentally. There's so much going on in the scene. It's such a meaty scene. If it would have happened in real time, I think I probably would have vomited. But the gym teacher seeing her there, wondering why the fuck is she here? What are they planning to do? They're going to do something to Carrie, and I can tell. Which is almost the exact same thing running through Sue's mind, which is, what is this rope doing here? Why are they underneath the bleachers? What is going on? I need to stop this. They're going to do something to Carrie. The poor hapless boyfriend up on stage is just like, everything's happening. Because <laughs> he sees his real girlfriend there getting kind of hustled up by the gym teacher yeah. who won't listen to her or doesn't understand that she wasn't there to do something to Carrie. She was all of a sudden catching on to a plot that something was going to happen to Carrie. Mm -hmm. Somehow, through some sort of teleportation. The gym teacher <laughs> I don't, returns back. I don't think it's as... No, it's as teleportation. It's not as heinous as I think you think it is. Like They get I, all the way through a crowd of people, a very large crowd of people, to the back of the auditorium. The auditorium's not tiny. She hustles Sue out of a door, shoves her out the door, and then it all of a sudden appears back in the crowd where she was. I feel as though it's it's fine. Because, guess what? That the, the taffy has been pulled, cannot be pulled any more. Because the rope has been tied the, the throughout been... this whole scene. We even get a Hitchcockian glance of a shadowed hand pulling a rope. Yeah. It, is, it is Hitchcockian. It is the bomb under the table. It is mm -hmm. the thing that you know that is going to happen. You know it's there. You know it's going to happen. How long can we wait until we make it happen? And it's not only suspenseful in the action here. It's suspenseful emotionally for you yeah. because you are reveling in the glee and the sheer, like, exuberance and joy that is on Carrie's face because she finally made it mm. more than she had ever expected. She would have been happy to go and have a glass of punch and go home. 
oh my god mm-hmm. then the like five or six things that have happened at prom since then she is truly on top of the world mm-hmm. it all comes crashing down with yeah. pig's blood all over her body and what even tommy gets a little bit of it on his arm and stuff like yeah. that yeah. and and uh there's a really interesting uh reaction that i think uh can get muddled in uh watching this film how you people remember how i remember definitely because when this happens to Carrie, there definitely are people that are laughing, but the vast majority of people aren't laughing. No, Norma is laughing. Nor- Norma is laughing because she's a bitch. Yeah, she can't help it. And she was part of the plot. She was like, aha. She was in on uh-huh. it. Yeah, she, she thought was, that was great. She was in on it. But like, we see like Tommy's friends just like, and she, and like, Norma's even like, huh? Huh? And they're just, like what they're not laughing and they're mortified because they were along with us enjoying this evening for Carrie with Carrie. Yeah. And, 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 but that's not what Carrie sees. Carrie sees again, a very interesting, uh, view of everything sort of swirling around and kaleidoscope, effect. kaleidoscope. Yeah. And, and she thinks everyone, including the, the teachers, everyone is fucking laughing at her and, and it's gone from like this weird, like everyone just looking at her prison. Like Miss Collins was like fucking and like just holding her hands like she was watching her daughter or something like that. She and, was. And uh yeah. And uh and all of a sudden it's, it's just all gone away and Tommy is like, you know, what the hell? Like and there's no sound. We can't hear people laughing or talking or speaking. We can hear um the 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 wetness of the the blood and we can hear the bucket. But we can't hear anything else going on in the prom. Everything's slowed down to slow motion, which would probably be how Carrie's perceiving all of this. She's hearing things outside of the dripping blood in the bucket when her senses start to return. They're, yeah, remembering things people had said to her. She's hearing the laughing that had taken place in the first scene in the locker room. Um, she's totally disconnected completely disassociated you can tell from her stance and the look on her eyes yeah it, and man does uh sissy space like do good crazy eyes oh yeah there is something so uh wonderfully uh iconic about carrie white just drenched in pig's blood it is it is a it is an indelible uh fixture of horror it is, it is something that everyone knows. Everybody fucking knows the, that shot of Carrie. Uh, the more, the most famous scene being when she's backlit by fire. Yeah. But, but just Carrie covered in blood. Anybody, even if you've never seen the fucking movie, you know what Carrie White covered in blood is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can give people that, that look. And it's the same sort of sounds that have become synonymous with Psycho. Mm-hmm. That shrill violin hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a shrill violin hit type sound in this yeah. film that is accompanied with her eyes catching whatever it is that she's going to use her telekinetic powers on. She's now harnessed them. She she is at the peak of fiery rage. Tommy really missed out on something here because um, he's going to miss out on a few things, uh, including adulthood. But yeah. <laughs> but um, he was like, man, you could have if you you wooed Carrie Wright, and I definitely feel like by the time he got her like. To heck with the devil, or the the devil with modesty, and gets her to like 
like extra name and stuff like that, perhaps damning her all, damning them all to it, like when the, the God didn't like that one. Uh, I the vote feel, was rigged, Wes, so it doesn't matter. It, it was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. rigged, yeah. But um, I, I definitely feel as though, like in that moment, you know, as he, as like, if you play your cards right, man, you could probably get yourself a psychic weapon for a girlfriend like an x-men <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly totally. it's like you could you could have gene gray as your girlfriend and no and that's a fucking cool idea uh but no he's actually going to get hit in the head with a galvanized bucket's going to fall and he's going to be knocked unconscious and in a way he is going to die never knowing what carrie is going to do to everyone there pretty much because there's some uh, other it's like shenanigans that happen on the stage but he's probably like dying or dead by the time that the electrocutions happen he probably ends up getting electrocuted as well or just or burned like burned alive because like that's pretty much what happens to most of them but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh the the this sequence is as famous as carrie a lot of people probably couldn't like who haven't seen the movie obviously wouldn't know like the 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 nitty-gritty of it but the idea that carrie white is going to kill the entire graduating class yeah and and my hero no one is spared. Even people who were kind to her are not spared. It the is the only person who was spared was hustled out of the fucking crowd by the gym teacher. Mm-hmm. The Miss Collins, the person who was nicest to her, who she had a genuine connection to, was not spared. No, she was chopped in half with one of the more brutal deaths. Really, truly, like that mm-hmm. teacher that had mocked her for saying Tommy's poem was beautiful. Mm-hmm. He gets electrocuted quite quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone, like, she shuts the doors and traps everyone in there. Mm-hmm. Then she sprays them all with a fire hose. And you know it's not on full tilt because, like, they got to spray PJ Soul's dead body with this fire hose. Like, it's that, that would actually hurt. So it's like you got that little disconnect of, like, I know that they're not spraying them with full hose mm-hmm. power here because that's painful dangerous and you can break bones mm-hmm. but let's pretend it is so that's what effect it's supposed to be having on these people it probably mm-hmm. killed people with the fire hose alone yeah. so yeah they're all trapped in there they're all sprayed then fire breaks out yeah it's a gorgeous sequence carrie standing there on stage just red with blood standing there with her her hands posed the way that she does them and then just this whole back lights up with fire it's Gorgeous. It I is. love I love that sequence. And so what much. an amazingly choreographed scene. So you have her walking through this dispersing and half dead crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and the doors opening for her alone and mm-hmm. shutting behind her and keeping in the the tortured, dying, burning, screaming people that are remaining in this completely burning down auditorium. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. You know, Chris and uh, John Travolta got out of there though. The fucking goons. <laughs> and and you get this sense as like once uh, they look into the gymnasium as it's all happening and they probably can't make too much sense of it. Uh, John Travolta seems pretty drunk. But uh, Chris seems to understand at least that it's Carrie's fault that this is happening. She sees Carrie walking on the side of the road when she's in uh, her boyfriend's pickup truck there. And she or, or not pickup truck, but car. And she's going to fucking run him or her the fuck over or try to which is crazy like but that's that that weird bully hatred that i'll never really understand of why you want to destroy this person what is it that is happening in your life and in your mind that you've projected 
the fault of everything that's wrong and bad in your world onto this totally innocent person mm -hmm. just because they're an easy mark. And now this is beyond an easy mark. She has a drunk boyfriend who doesn't even know or care what the fuck's going on. She's in his charger or whatever fucking car it is, like a muscle car. And she's probably drunk and a little bit high on her own shenanigans at this point. And there is the fucking object of her hatred walking down the road with their, her back to her. So it's the, the beyond stabbing someone in the back, this cowardly move. So she guns it toward Carrie, who is at beyond peak power. Yeah, it's, it's actually, uh, for the most part, um, Carrie's psychic powers uh, are pretty impressive in terms of just being able to move things like telekinesis in general. Like she's doing some pretty impressive things. Yeah. This is an incredibly impressive psychic feat where she basically flips a car and then ignites it. Yeah. In full Michael Bay explosion fashion too. Like, oh yeah. And that car flips like tumbles yeah. at high speed down the road. Done very, very well. Very realistically mm -hmm. too. With a glance. She does all this with a glance. Yeah. Then she finally gets home. Well, all's well that ends well. Yeah, she has a bath, washes off the blood. Yeah. And I, you know, I start thinking maybe like, you know, the rest of the night wasn't so bad. No, not really. They had a really nice time up until a certain point. And you know what? Graduation's gonna be quick. It's just her and Sue. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> You're totally right. So yeah. she could just wash off all this blood, forget the last like 10 minutes there where she killed everybody mm -hmm. and had weird psychic phenomena. You know, the rest of the night was very nice. It's, it, yeah, not bad. Not bad. A dream, her, and she's got that dream boat of a, well, no. Yeah, he's dead too. He's, he's definitely dead. But Carrie's devastated, despite me trying to butter it up here. Uh, Carrie's devastated. She just wants her mom to hold her. And she admits to her mother, Mom, yes, you were right. It was bad. Mm -hmm. They laughed at me. Yeah. And her mom is just like, first of all, the entire house has been arranged with candles. Everywhere. Probably took a while to do. I'm triply jealous. It must be so warm in there. Yeah. She was like, listen, th for this weird ritual, I am getting out all the candles. I'm even going to the attic and getting out probably the candles that are only for Christmas, like the green and red ones and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so she probably went down to the synagogue and bored all their leftover candles. Yeah, took all their fucking prayer candles and shit. Yeah. Uh, so when Carrie is taking a bath and like she doesn't really know her mother, her mother is just standing in the fucking corner behind Michael the door. Myers style. Yeah, yeah. You think that she might just be like a mannequin because you know, like Carrie does have uh, accoutrement for sewing and stuff like that. Both her mom so they're uh, they're uh, they're. Uh, Sewing machine says white on it. Like they have like a fucking That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I had a boss whose last name was Nelson and he had a fridge that said Nelson and he never wanted to get rid of it. Cause it was like, it said Nelson. It's a Nelson fridge. It's a good fridge. Uh, well, this is not really what they're going to pray. They're going to pray. And, and you see this moment in which Carrie is succumbing to this dogma. I guess I thought my mom was so wrong, but I guess you're so right. And I did all these things and perhaps it is the devil in me and perhaps I do need prayer and they're going to pray and it's going to be fine for the last time though. Yeah. When her mom says pray for the last time, Carrie should have looked back and been like, wait a minute. What do you mean last time? Yeah. Cause you love praying. It's kind of your whole deal. I can't <laughs> imagine this is the last time we're ever going to pray. She gets a butcher knife in the back. Mm -hmm. Not deep enough to do any super duper damage, but no. I mean, blood again. She's always covered in blood, this girl. I feel for her. Blood's shit to wash out. Yeah, and that probably hurts a, a bit. And, you know, Carrie is a very uh, slight woman. I mean, 
a knife doesn't really have to go that deep. And it's a big knife. It could have went right through the other side. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Now, her mother is, her idea is, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cleanse you. And I should have killed you when you were born because, you know, it's my fault for having sex and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is going to be her final solution. Her final solution is to kill Carrie. But the problem is, is she didn't fucking kill her when she had the chance. Carrie is scared and uh, betrayed and uh, devastated, and she's just killed probably like 350 people. Yeah, yeah. She is going to kill her mother, and she is going to do it just like Jesus Christ, just the way that her mother would probably want to die, crucified. In excelsis Dio, as it were. Yeah, she gets those seven wounds of Christ in the doorway of their kitchen with kitchen implements and mm-hmm. that. And one's a potato peeler. And that one always kind of makes it go, <laughs> potato peeler. It's very good. And yeah. also, like, she's in the exact same, like, position as Jesus. Um, when, a, a historical Jesus or this fictional biblical Jesus? The Dio Jesus figure that they yeah. have in their cupboard. It is, too. <laughs> it is. And it's she has almost similar hair at that Um and it's just made so much more precious because they're both in their, like, white nightgowns and it looks so yeah. virginal and so sweet. And but, yeah. it, she, gets, she gets her death scene and then uh, Carrie is going to try to pull her mother free because, like, what have I done? And then the house starts collapsing. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be uh, – you could chalk it up to sort of, like, divine intervention. I, I chalk it up to, like, her psychic powers just, like, being completely out of control. You think so? I think it's suicide. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. Yeah, but it could be, because she seems to have a certain amount of control over what her powers do. and But she can only have only one track mind, like any person. Um, but then again, I'm not psychic, so I don't know how these things work, where she had, like, someone getting electrocuted over there, someone getting strangled over there, someone getting drowned by the hose over there, and this is still happening over there. So it, it seems to be firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat outside of her control, perhaps. It's really hard to make that call. But at this point, it could very well be like she's going full Phoenix. Yeah, it, it, I, I, that's how I always demonstrated. She has the object of her hatred, the object of her love, her probably most honest love and most honest hatred combined into one person. She has murdered because they tried to kill her first. She has had literally the worst fucking day anyone could possibly have and and it's this moment in which her psychic abilities it seems to be so based off of her emotions it seems to be out of control yet the most the most contr- the two moments of most control she demonstrates with how uh focused her psychic powers can be the first is the car that is like the most like that is like pinpointed laser. I'm going to flip this car and I'm going to ignite it. That's very deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the in the gymnasium, I always get this sense that all this telekinetic phenomenon is happening as like a demonstration of these wildly out of control. All the things that she's feeling, it is just manifesting itself in a lot of different ways. Um, the house, she even seems to, to be she, – she's trying to drag her mother. Maybe her mother's not dead. Maybe we can save her. But we're going into the cupboard uh, – together and maybe when the house collapses i'll be okay in here who knows what she was thinking in those moments but it definitely seems to be that she her psychic abilities have gone out of her control she can't stop it because she's so upset uh at this final act 
Hmm. Um, that's how I always looked at it. I mean, you might be right. Maybe she does want to kill herself, but there's too much in her, like what's happening and trying to get her mother away. I felt that she was trying to kill herself. She would have just stood there and, and just like held her mother and, and didn't do anything. But the fact that she seemed to be trying to preserve her mother or maybe even herself or both, uh, it makes it seem that the house is collapsing and she's not really, she's doing it, but she doesn't know how to stop it. Up until this point, whenever she looks at something, that's how she elicits a reaction. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of darting her eyes all around the house, mm-hmm. which also leads me to believe that she's willing this to happen. Mm. But she is scared, and no one acts scared like Sissy Spacek. I said it myself. True. So, I don't know. It's a tough call. It's, it's a, a tough, tough call. call. But uh, what's not a tough call is moving away. It's time to go. What happened to Tommy and the class and everything? I think Sue should just leave but not before she pays her final respects to the plot now i guess that the the white house is white house uh the carrie's house lies the white white house the white white house the white white house which is now just like a burnt rubbly bit but like this is all a dream sequence eh? so it's like who knows what Sue's really going to happen. I think she's just going to end up in a mental institution. Well, we find out what happens to to Sue because in in the rage, Carrie too, and back in the nineties and shit like that, does not end well for her. But um, but it, this is a, a really interesting scene. This is this is a very famous last scare scene. Uh, most horror fans would know. Sean Cunningham was inspired to do the last scare scene in Friday the Thirteenth, which thanks to another Stephen King. Uh, movie, the one we're going to watch next, Christine, mm. I always think of as Cuntingham, and he will forever be Sean Cuntingham. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But yes, it even made me jump this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a it's, little jump. A little jump. jump. It was, yeah. gang, don't get it twisted. It was a very modest jump. Come on. It's it's Lydia here. Um, now, this, this final sequence is a dream sequence. It's one last scare, and we just see... Sissy Spacex bloody arm coming out of the rubble to grab her. And of course, Sue wakes up and uh, the nightmare of her reality is real. But the nightmare of Carrie uh, being uh, back from the dead is is not real. Uh, she even, had, even envisioned uh, a, a Carrie White burn in hell sign with like an arrow pointing down. Yeah, made from the for sale sign that was beside the house earlier, which is just... So perfect. The things that we dream up in our weird-ass dreams. Yeah. Carrie White, burn in hell. Which is what someone like Norma would have written on a sign like that, because she's real cool. <laughs> Poor Carrie. Poor Carrie. Mm-hmm. So that was a downer note. A little bit of a downer note. It's. It, I think that um, one of the interesting things about the Carrie White character as a horror icon is it ends. It is such a, so many other uh, horror characters. First of all, there's very few uh, as iconic uh, female horror characters as Carrie White, obviously the bride, uh, which also dies as a building explodes and collapses. Um, But um, when it comes to her, it is, it it is like one of those horror icons that is so, uh, it's such a downtrodden story. It is, it is all about, a woman, uh, a, a young woman mercilessly teased, picked on, tormented at home, at school, uh, asserts herself, finds a glimpse of happiness, and then becomes more miserable than she ever was, than she ever could have been if uh, the prom never happened and if no one ever tried to be nice to her. If everyone just left her alone, which is what she probably really wanted, 
uh, things might have turned out a little bit differently. But uh, I, I and uh, getting her revenge on her mother, like that, that is kind of like oh, good. I'm glad you killed your mother. But she doesn't seem glad that she killed her mother. And then they're both dead now. So it's it, it's just a very um, it's such a sad story. And wonderfully wonderfully realistic because if any of these powers would have happened to somebody where they didn't have all these problems in their life like Carrie did, it would have been a Marvel movie, and I would not be watching it. Wouldn't be interesting. Wouldn't be compelling. Wouldn't have stuck with people, mm-hmm. unless it was a comic book series, which kind of is what they all are. But like that's what I like of the realism of this. Or it's the manifestation of so many bullied children and teenagers' ultimate fantasies of I'm gonna just I would love to just blow up that fucking bus full of football players mm-hmm. or something to get back at them ultimately, and they'll never carry out something like that. Although we are in a, this day and age of school shootings, it's a right? different. It's a different time, yeah. Yeah, it is, but it is like that manifestation of all of that hatred, where you'd like to see it played out in a fictional capacity, mm-hmm. right? Like it's interesting to see it played out in a fictional capacity, so you can safely root for Carrie White. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, rooting for Carrie White also, uh, or White, sorry. Um, it's it's the the thing that I think really separates it from a traditional. Uh, revenge film because it is really about Carrie's ultimate revenge is it's so indiscriminate at the end which to me uh, is brilliant I love that that what this life has culminated to is this blind rage blind rage and it's sort of like whether you're in this room or not doesn't mean that whether you're innocent or not is that you witness this ultimate like degradation of Mm -hmm. an innocent person and for that, you must die, mm-hmm. basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do like that ultimate rage. Mm. That's a fun note. It is Next a fun note. up, what do we got for him? Next up, we have another movie where all the bullies die, Christine. <laughs> and she may not be a Carrie White, but she's got some rage, that's for sure. Christine was one of the first movies that scared me to the point that I didn't want to walk home alone. This is going to be interesting. It truly, truly is. Um, before we go, I do want to mention, like, I've been listening to quite a few podcasts still, even though my work has changed and my hours have changed. My commute time has changed. If you mm. notice on Twitter, where I used to post my killer commutes and creative commutes, because uh, I do post when I listen to podcasts more for the most part. Sometimes I don't get a chance to. Um But I've been listening to, of course, Murder Was the Case, one of my favorite killer commute. And still, This is Horror. Or Bind Torture Cast, my husband's podcast, where they covered The Endless. Not That wasn't their most recent by the time this is out. But it is the most amazing. And so many podcasts are covering that movie right now. It's just crazy to me. But I did finally get a chance to see it. And it was wonderful. One of the other creative podcasts I listen to is Books in the Freezer. And you're going to want to tune into that soon enough. There will be a mention of little old me and a throwback to way back. My Night Face novel will be spoken about and it will also be spoken about on Rachel, one of the co-hosts YouTube channels. She's known uh, as Shades of Orange on YouTube. So just tune into that. By the time this airs, there will probably be some sort of night face action in there and some prelite Eve talk to come, especially to tie into the audible version of prelite Eve and the audible version of prelite Eve 2 coming out soon. So now it was a big mouthful of listen to all these awesome podcasts, plus listen to this one to hear them talk about night face and go buy my book. 
yeah, you should definitely pick up Night Face. It's cool. And you'll never look at lemons the same way again. You'll never look at lemons the same way again. It's true. And, you know, I barely look at you the same way again, Wes. What? Because your publication, Cherry, has henceforth <laughs> been absolutely popped. Popped and ripped <laughs> wide open. And then lapped up by tiny little lemurs. Not only... <laughs> <laughs> is, I got gross. Yeah, I know. This has been a long time coming. It um, has. This congratulations, Wes, on Princeless, the, the book that you fi- have worked on, finally being available in our hot little paws... Yeah. Uh, hot little e-readers. E-readers for now and a physical copy in a couple of months. Uh, there's one more issue, uh, issue number six that needs to get released and then it'll all get put into a trade paperback. So you get six issues. Uh, uh, for now, you can go and p- to Comixology, which is the place that uh, all comic books uh, that are officially released digitally go. And for one ninety nine, uh, you can pick up my book. It's a, it's, a, it's a good deal. And the nice thing about this anthology is it's a charity. So it goes to uh, Girls Rock, Girls Leadership, uh, charitable organizations, which are after-school programs for young girls. So you can uh, prevent more Carrie Whites in the future. Yeah, yeah. A place of uh, inclusion and, and uh, teaching leadership skills and also fostering uh, creative uh, tendencies. Like if you have an interest in science, or you have an interest in art and stuff like that, it's a place where you can go and you can foster those interests outside of school. Um, so there, and and so money to, uh, to the book goes towards that, and yeah, it's just a cute little story. It's uh, you guys um, like fantasy, like a, sort of like a, a group of rambunctious teen girls, diverse and uh, fun and plucky, and uh, and it's just a cute little story that uh, that I have in the back end of that, and I liked it a lot. And people seem to 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 be digging it so far, and uh, I haven't heard anything too negative just yet. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So I'm super happy and it is a long time covering, you know, uh, I had recently had to re-sign a contract with Action Lab and I was able to look at my previous contract and it was two years almost to the day that I signed my first contract and then had to do a new contract. And I knew that by the time I had signed that, that contract with Action Lab, it was June 15th, uh, you know, what is it, 2016 or, or, or whatever the fuck? Or 2015, I guess. Well, whatever. And uh, and I, I signed that, and I had already known at that point what I was going to be working on, but I hadn't started yet. And then by the end of that year, uh, our princess issue was done, and then it was just lost in... I like, There was definitely times where I just thought it was never coming out. Because mm-hmm. you know, that happens sometimes. You make something and the P, the powers that be, the distributors and publishers, they change their mind about Princeless, they change their mind about the project and then, well, it would cost too much money to distribute this and we don't really want to spend that money on this. We're going to spend it other uh, and elsewhere. That wasn't the case. It was really more just uh, a lot of people working on the project and, and, and just a lot of... Uh, stuff to get through and it did it wasn't supposed to sit on the shelf as long as it did but uh and 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 it really felt um not only was i happy i kind of uh had a little moment staring at the screen in disbelief that there was a credit with my name on it uh, (laughs) on comiXology because it was just it almost seemed like it like i said that was never happening if i were going to get my first uh uh time being published i thought it was going to be something else because i was i think that project is just gone yeah. or or something like that uh um because i've definitely worked on books that have uh you know i don't know if they'll ever come out but they're they're, they're ready they're waiting 
so yeah, it was really, really fucking cool. And everyone has shown me a lot of really cool support. And uh, I can be obnoxious. I could call myself a writer. Yeah, you totally can. And yeah. that's you could just have this byline for the rest of your life. You're forever a writer. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Now I know how. Now I know how your side lives. Yeah, when you see your name in lights, as it were, yeah. on a backlit screen or whatever the case may be, uh, that first byline, and it's like a race to the first byline in a way because you sort of like envision it when you're toiling away as a teen or whatever Mm -hmm. and and sort of thinking maybe this would be something you'd like to get into and then the reality of it all crushes most your hopes and dreams but then when it comes to the point when you've worked on a lot of projects and like you said there's a lot of stuff out there floating around that could just all of a sudden be released or may never it's just sort of in limbo Mm -hmm. when all those things are in limbo when you've done that putting your irons in the fire as it were whatever one will eventually be hammered into the horseshoe that gets you galloping i don't know i have all analogies today that's good i like it yeah and lemurs <laughs> and lemurs yeah i i think that for for me i i you know i i suppose like how i uh my uh my my branding is always horror so i always would want something horror related to be my first publication but i'm very very happy with the story i was able to tell with princeless and uh it, it allows me to flex muscles because I, cause I am not, like, I'm kind of like a Venn diagram nerd, so I, I do have like a lot of other interests. And 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 honestly, telling an all ages story was a bit of a challenge for me. And and it really was coming from a place where, cut to, I mean, you've been writing your whole life pretty much, and and you'd started Night Face. Sadly. Oh shush! Oh and my God. you're fucking so. When you put it that way, you're so. You're, you know, don't kill yourself. I need you. Um, uh, you know, you started uh, Night Face when you were a teen. Mm-hmm. And then you'd finished it, you know, you took a, a hiatus from, from writing for that, at least for a little bit. And then you got back into it and you finished it up and you got it published and, and all that kind of shit, you know, worked your ass off to get that accomplished. And you guys haven't read Nightface, highly recommend it again. Um, but, uh, I was this fucking just goober. Like, I just never thought about writing. It never occurred to me. I, when I was a kid working on comic books was just like a fucking on Mars. Like, it was like, imagine if, imagine if. I, I could work, work on a comic book. And I always thought that the way that I would get into comics if I were ever to do that was drawing. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would draw all the time. And, and uh, you know, people like, you know, everyone always when a kid can draw and things look like what they're kind of supposed to look like, everyone thinks you're a fucking genius. And they say, this is so good and blah, blah, blah. And because uh, believe me, my art skills are not that fucking impressive. But um, I and then when drawing stopped being fun for me after high school, like my, my high school teacher really fucking beat the fun out of drawing for me. Like really like and, I mean, graphic design beat the fun out of drawing for me, too. Oh, yeah. I haven't drawn a thing since. Fuck that. Because it becomes so it's, it's, 1994. It's, no it's, a, it's, a, it's work. It's yeah. an assignment. I now. don't like it. But I used to fucking like draw for fun. And and so it was just so far and away. And I was so divorced by it. And it wasn't until, you know, I met uh, Sora Sung and and she said, you could probably do this. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can. Like blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, like you keep, you you try and you you do things that suck and then people help you correct it. And then you learn more and you, as you go and, and yeah. And so it's crazy. It's just crazy to me. I'm rambling, but it's just more that I just can't really believe it. Like, it's just weird. It's just <laughs> fucking weird. Uh, that's a double congratulations. It is weird and it is surreal and you don't really ever get over that high. Yeah. yeah which is good. But we should we should go because you're probably tired. It was Wes's birthday, everybody, if you didn't get the memo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'm wearing my big sunglasses and I came in with like Lydia just gave me a giant coffee and... Uh, 
Yeah. I think he needs another one. <laughs> I might need another coffee. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.